This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Hi, I'm Chris Judd and this is Talkie Book and today we're joined by Anthony Doyle from Firetrail Investments. Anthony, thanks very much for making a Talkie Book debut. Great to be here, Chris. Thanks. Now, we'll get to your stock pick of choice in a little while, but I thought if we could just dig into Fire Trail Investments a little bit and, and perhaps the strategy that your fund uh, implements there. Yeah, sure. So Fire Trail Investments is an investment management boutique headquartered in Sydney, uh, and it started in 2018. Basically, the team from Macquarie, uh, so the old Macquarie investment management team that had been managing the high conviction Australian portfolios there, spun out of Macquarie in 2018 uh, to start our our own destiny, so to speak. So essentially what we have is uh, four funds, an Australian equity fund uh, named the Firetrail High Conviction Fund, Firetrail Small Companies Fund, Firetrail Absolute Return Fund, and I work in the team responsible for the Firetrail S3 Global Opportunities Fund. Now, uh, it's obviously a, a managed fund, but you also have an, an active ETF. Maybe explain for us the difference between a LIC and an, an active ETF and, and how that works for investors. Yeah, so a LIC is a closed-ended vehicle. So essentially what happens is an investment manager will go out to the, the market, uh, raise assets, and essentially uh, you'll find that uh, the LIC is listed on the, the stock exchange. Uh, whereas the uh, active ETF is essentially the unlisted unit trust, its units are registered on the exchange. So typically a LIC can trade above net tangi- tangible asset value or below it, whereas the active ETF, because it's the units uh, that are registered on the stock exchange, um, that you can own next to your BHP shares or your CBA shares, uh, essentially what it does is it democratizes access to the investment manager and they always trade at net asset value. So you pay a small spread on the bid and offer side, but it's a great way of getting access to active investment management without the necessary paperwork and minimums that go along with investing in say an unlisted unit trust. And very unlikely Jeff Wilson's gonna pop up on the register and take control of the, uh, of no, the asset. No, he won't, no, and he can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so what stock did you wanna talk about today? So the stock I have for you today, Chris, I'm not sure many of your viewers have uh, heard of this company, uh, but it's listed over in the States on the New York Stock Exchange, headquartered in Seattle, 120 years old, and it is a company named Weyerhaeuser. I hadn't heard of it and I struggled to pronounce it, so I'm glad you pronounced it first, but maybe give us the the helicopter view of of what they do and what their different divisions are. Well, it's pretty simple. Um, They're a a lumber company. Uh, They're actually the US's or North America's largest private landowner of forests. Um, So they own 11 million acres of forests in the US and they have a lease of 14 million acres in Canada, long leases. And it's pretty simple what they do. Those trees, uh, those forests every year, they cut them down and they produce sustainable building material in lumber, timber, paper products uh, and wood products as well. They're vertically integrated, so they own the forests, they own the mills, they own the distribution. Um, so it's a, a pretty basic, uh, basic company with a, a you know categorised as a timber REIT. Um, so what really matters for Weyerhaeuser is the lumber price, 
first and foremost. And in terms of managing those forest, forestry assets, Wayhouse actually plant more trees than they cut down every year. So they plant around 150 million trees a year. And not currently selling carbon credits, but it sounds like that's not too far away. Maybe talk about the possible re-rating that could occur when, uh, when that happens for Weyerhaeuser. Yeah, so Chris, I mean, in Firetrail, what we do is we're high conviction, concentrated investment managers. So there's a lot of noise that goes on, whether you're looking at the macro environment, but also for companies. So what we do, apart from the fundamental analysis and all the modeling, we truly get to understand these companies. So we conduct over 200 hours of research on a name like Weyerhaeuser. So what are the two or three things cutting through the noise that really matter? Well, first and foremost, it's the lumber price and you've just highlighted, I can see you've done your research, you've just highlighted the second thing that really matters, which is Weyerhaeuser's climate solutions business. So Weyerhaeuser are developing a business to tap into carbon capture, carbon storage, and carbon credits. Now, why are they doing that? Don't they a timber REIT with forestry assets? Well, this is a developing business because if you think about all those assets that Weyerhaeuser owns in terms of natural assets, they're sucking in 35 million tonnes of carbon every year. So we think that this is actually, Weyerhaeuser is actually the largest carbon sink that you can purchase on an exchange anywhere in the world. So management have identified this and they've moved the CFO over to the division, the climate solutions business responsible for building the business. And they want that business to have 100 million of profits USD by the end of 2025. And what they're doing is selling very high quality carbon credits into the infant US carbon market. So today it's around $12 a ton if you want to offset a ton of carbon emissions in the US. Compare that to Australia where it's around $22 a ton and in Europe around $75 a ton. Now our view is what you're going to see, and we've already seen it, particularly from the mega cap tech names, is they want to offset their emissions, both from a regulatory perspective, pressure is building, but also from customer base, the pressure is building. So Microsoft, for example, have committed to offsetting their total emissions as an entire firm since 1974. And they buy only the very highest quality carbon credits, like forestry carbon credits, like a company like Weyerhaeuser would issue. So we estimate that when the carbon price in the US reaches $25 a tonne, management at Weyerhaeuser have a really interesting decision to make. Do they keep cutting down trees like they have done for 120 years, or do they actually leave those trees in the ground and become a carbon sink? So not only do Weyerhaeuser have that choice to make, but you can imagine if they say, we're just gonna be sell carbon credits on our assets now, what happens to the lumber price? What happens to the price for those wood products that they are producing today as one of the largest timber REITs in the US? Well, that's going to appreciate. So it's a really two-way play on two commodity markets. One's a developing carb commodity market in carbon credits. The other one is obviously an established commodity market in, in lumber. So maybe we'll start with the carbon price. Talk me through the difference between so the EU carbon price, which has held up really well. Uh, yeah, I, I sort of thought it would trade aligned with a lot of other long duration assets, but throughout this last period, it, it's held up much stronger than I thought it would. Maybe if you can compare that with the, the US carbon price and how those two markets, markets differ. Yeah, so the US is entirely a, a voluntary market today, uh, but you have more developed carbon markets. And it's a bit uh, simplistic, Chris, to look at the carbon price 
because underneath that, as a whole, um, underneath that, there are all different types of prices depending on the quality of the carbon credit itself. Some are a bit dubious, others uh, stand up to a lot more regulatory pressure or, or um, uh, 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 stand up a lot more to the auditor, I should, yeah. I should say. So in terms of the US, the, the Californian market is very well developed and the, the carbon price in California is actually higher than other states within the United States. Uh, but then in Europe, you have obviously that regulatory environment that uh, is enforcing the, the higher price uh, in Europe or forcing companies to offset their emissions to a far greater extent than what you are experiencing in the United States. So if we have, we have COP21 going on at the moment, if we are to reach the lofty ambitions that the globe has set on carbon emissions, on trying to keep a cap on how warm the globe gets, it's simply the case that companies that have a carbon footprint will have to offset those emissions from companies that have a negative carbon footprint. So we believe that demand for carbon credits will grow, particularly in the United States, and that's when you start to see the appreciation of the value of those carbon credits. So we're not there yet, but that pressure is building. And we saw when the, the price of the EU carbon market fell out of bed post-COVID that the government stood in and, and bought those carbon credits and really put a floor underneath the price. Do you think, you know, looking out further, there is sort of a, a floor and a level of asymmetry in that carbon price that if it does drop down too much, the government will step in because they're so determined on incentivising investment in, in these sorts of products? I mean, our view is, you know, carbon offsets are an important tool, one of the tools that we can try and use to mitigate carbon emissions to some extent. Um, but we still believe that we're, we're enjoying the benefits of electricity today, right, in this studio. It's nice and air conditioned, the lights are on. And we've seen during the energy crisis as well that uh, it is important that we have some of these sources of energy to heat our homes. And, and no one's feeling that more at the moment than Europeans mm. with, the, with the crisis in Ukraine and the, and the war in Ukraine. So there will be continued pressure from uh, governments and, and regulators to continue for, for companies to try and develop technologies to offset some of those emissions. But where they can't, where they simply can't, they will seek to purchase those offsets in the carbon market. Now, as I mentioned, there's a high level of variability of the quality of carbon offsets within the market and the types of carbon offsets that Weyerhaeuser are likely to sell will be the most premium in-demand offsets. And we've already seen that, particularly with policies issued from companies like Alphabet and Amazon and Microsoft. These are the types of carbon offsets that they want to buy. And will their, their offsets be of such high quality because they can show that they would be cutting down that lumber if it weren't for the, the carbon credit. So it's a clear yep. change in strategy that those trees are left in the ground, causing a carbon sink that would otherwise not be there. Yeah, you're right, Chris. It's true additionality. So there's too much gaming going on, which is where the criticism comes from carbon offsets. And then people say, oh, it's too hard. Uh, which is why you need a, a strong market in place, a strong auditing regime in place, which is why, why Weyerhaeuser is being cautious in their development of their carbon credits. But because the company is over 100 years old, they can show you a field, they can show you a forest that was previously used to, they used to cut down for lumber, for timber, for paper products. And they can say, no, we're keeping that in the ground now for the sole use of carbon offsetting. Um, so it's true additionality. It is a true ton of carbon 
that is being sucked out of the atmosphere that otherwise it wouldn't have been. And that's where uh, I think you'll get the true premium price paid for these types of offsets, particularly from those companies that want to offset their emissions. And I know you're very much a macro investor as well. If you step back from Weyerhaeuser and you just say, you know, a lot of these policies are introduced in a disinflationary environment. If you stick back and say, we're going through an inflationary period, here's a company that's in, being incentivized to rip out more production and rip out more supply. If you park Weyerhaeuser to a side, what does that say about the long-term trend for inflation going forward? If you think these things are gonna be happening across the economy in multiple different, different businesses. Yeah, well, we've just had the, the US midterms, uh, Chris, and it looks like it's going to be a purple house. So the Democrats will control the Senate and the Republicans are likely to gain control of the House of Representatives and obviously Joe Biden as president. So actually a purple house is the most favorable environment for equity markets throughout, um, throughout uh, the modern era. And typically you see double digit gains in the S&P 500. The reason it's favorable is because the regulatory environment is more certain in that there aren't going to be large regulatory changes that are impacting specific sectors and specific companies. Additionally, we've just had the passing of the US Inflation Reduction Act, where the US is pumping in $400 million a year into things like renewable aviation fuel subsidies, um, also uh, biodiesel, renewable diesel, uh, and also initiatives to uh, try and combat climate warming. With that in mind, that can't be rolled back. Uh, typically what you need is a majority of 60 senators in the Senate and it's currently uh, close to 50-50. So with that safer regulatory regime in place, it's highly unlikely that you're going to see some of those uh, changes to, to the current carbon regime in force uh, for, for the next, uh, say, three to five years. And in terms of warehouse art, their wood products and their lumber, obviously a fair bit of exposing to US housing and, and some overseas housing markets as well. What's your sort of view on the exposure they've got that? And then maybe what's your view on US housing for the next, call it 12 to 24 months? Yeah, so uh, in terms of Weyerhaeuser, what we do is we talk to the company on a very regular basis and, and all the companies in our portfolio around their scope one and scope two emissions. We also look at their scope three and scope four emissions, but it's far more difficult to get a handle on scope three and scope four emissions as one company's scope four emissions such as uh, Weyerhaeuser you know, with that carbon sink might be another company's scope one emissions or scope two emissions. So you inevitably you get double counting. So today, we, the most accurate way to assess a, a company's carbon footprint is via scope one and scope two emissions. So rather than the purposes of those products, how they're being used, how can we assess uh, Weyerhaeuser's carbon footprint, both via the forestry assets, but also say, those mills that they run to cut down trees. You know, they have a carbon footprint and actually you'll find via ESG ratings, they, they score more poorly relative to their competitors that are pure forestry assets that don't have that um, mills and distribution uh, associated within their business model as well. So that's uh, the scope one, scope two emissions. Weyerhaeuser, as I said, is probably the largest carbon sink. You cannot find a better company for your portfolio in terms of scope one, scope two emissions, in terms of sucking carbon out of the environment in our assessment. And in terms of the outlook, we just caught up with the company 
a couple of weeks ago on the US housing market, of course it's going to slow. Of course it is slowing. And what Weyerhaeuser have reported back to us is the DIY segment of renovations. That's definitely slowing. We're probably seeing that in Australia as well. Um, I'm not sure, Chris, but I try, I try to do a renovation uh, through COVID. Um, but I, was, I had the pros in, not myself. You know, I wouldn't know which side of the hammer to, to hold. Um, but certainly, you know, it wasn't just me. You know, the builder was talking about, you know, rapid price increases for input costs, materials, but also labor. So uh, that's definitely slowed, but the professional segment where there's been a huge backlog of new builds occurring, there's been 10 years of underinvestment in the US housing market. So we anticipate that the lumber price will remain elevated, around 400 to 500 USD. It was as high as $1,800. It really spiked during COVID, but it's still above its long-term average of around $400. And that's enough to continue to see double-digit uh, revenue growth for, for Weyerhaeuser. So we describe Weyerhaeuser as first and foremost, a lumber company with carbon optionality. And that's why we think it has around 30% relative value upside today. And in terms of you look at, when you look at a resource company, investors will say they're in the lowest quartile for cost of production. Where, where does Weyerhaeuser's cost of production rank in terms of lumber? And does that sort of give some, some insulation against maybe some of the higher cost producers? Yeah, they benefit from economies of scale. Um, but one area that they are feeling the pinch is on wages growth. Um, so, uh, I mean, we have a couple of companies in the portfolio aligned with this thematic um, in terms of selling carbon credits. So not only do we own Weyerhaeuser, we also own another company called Rainair. Um, so Weyerhaeuser benefits from economies of scale but they are, uh, they are reporting to us that there are higher wage pressures building um, by the unionized workforce. That's fair enough. Rain air is that pure play forestry play. Um, so we're, we're using um, two exposures there to get exposure to the same sort of thematic, which is that growing demand for carbon offsets. And let's, let's talk a little bit about the numbers. What's their market cap? What sort of PE? What sort of growth rate are you expecting? Yeah, so we, I mean, we classify Weyerhaeuser as the growth company. We expect it to grow faster than the market. Um, the market cap today is around 28 billion USD. Um, as I mentioned, this is on the New York Stock Exchange, trades on a PE of around 10 times. So not bad for a growth company. Yeah. Uh, free cash flow of, of double digit, low double digit, around 10.5%. Current dividend yields 3.3. We expect uh, the dividend yield to be increased to around 7% within the next 12 months. So really favorable characteristics um, for what we think is a high quality defensive play in an environment where inflation is elevated. Um, and we, as I mentioned, you know, what really matters is the lumber price, but also the development of the carbon market. And what's their balance sheet look like? How much debt have they got? Yeah, pretty low debt, Timberit. So they're generating a lot of cash. Um, so yeah, relatively low debt. As I mentioned, we're worried about um, overexposure to the consumer. We're worried about companies that have overlevered balance sheets. You know, companies that would be categorized in the fixed income world as high yield. Uh, we think that if you haven't you know, fixed your roof while the sun was shining over the last couple of years while rates were low, then it's um, going to, you're going to find the next few years very difficult as it's unlikely that, that rates come back anywhere near the levels we've seen during COVID, um, particularly in an environment of elevated inflation. So if you want exposure to a company that has that potential to offset inflation, you know, Weyerhaeuser is a great place to be. It's a, it's a fascinating story, certainly very different to, uh, to any stock, I think, listed on the ASX. So uh, thanks for coming on the show. And, Walking us through it, and where can, uh, where can people find out more inf info about you and Firetrail if they uh, want to look for it? Yeah, so as I mentioned, the fund is listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. The ticker is S3GO, S3GO. 
Uh, but if you want any more information, just visit firetrail.com. Um, we put a lot of emphasis on communicating our investment themes. Uh, so please visit there, visit our insights page and you'll get all the information you need on, on us, the firm uh, and our funds. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.